Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett. Today, we are going to talk about free technology. And uh, Rochelle, like, as I was thinking about this topic before we started, even like just the title free technology can be packed with meaning <laughs> because we have lowercase free and capital free, uh, which are similar but different. Like, I think usually when we think of the word free, we think of there's no cost, right? It costs zero dollars. And some of the software we'll talk about today, all the software is pretty much zero dollars, but a lot of them you pay in different ways, right? Like Facebook could be considered free software, uh, but with that you are paying with your privacy or lack thereof. Uh, it may not be a dollar amount, but it is some sort of price. So I just wanted to like keep that out there as, I mean, pretty much every free piece of software out there is going to have some sort of price like that. It may be super minimal and it may be something you don't care about, but it is very like rare in the world to find something completely free. Uh, so I thought we could like talk about some of our uh, favorite pieces of free software and hopefully give out some recommendations to our listeners as some good things uh, pop up. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Awesome. And I would just say, I don't believe there's anything free. It's only free. Like if I give you an Amazon gift card, that's free to you. Mm -hmm. um, but free has this, like you said, it's packed full of meanings and innuendos and things like that. Am I obligated? Am I not obligated? But in terms of technology, think about it from this perspective. Why do you think all these companies give you free, you know, your free Gmail, your free uh, Facebook or whatever it is? Why do you think they give you free? It's not for you. And if you haven't mastered that concept in your head, oh, I love Instagram. I have people tell me that all the time. Facebook owns or meta. I think that's what they're called. Mm -hmm. They own Facebook. They own Instagram. They own what app or something. Like that. I mean, whatever. They're What's just that? Buying yeah. They just buying things left and right. Why do you think they give you free stuff? You know, it is because they're going to get more out of it than you are, you know? So, you know, if you think about it in a traditional sense, you give your, your family gifts, you know, you're always thinking about them, you know, that's a true, pure free, you know, but the cost behind that means you have to be a loving family member. You can't be on drugs. You can't do anything that might harm me. So even that free is negotiable. So when you get over here to free and technology, it's even packed with more because if you like, so for example, cookies, I can't stand that. Every website you go pops up this little button about accept my cookies. It sounds so and, delicious. Yeah, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so if you were offering oatmeal raisin cookies, that might be a good idea. But if you're offering some cookie that's tracking information about myself and storing it and giving it to you, which you might possibly breach with my mm -hmm. information. You saw earlier that American Airlines had a breach, you know, and all the customer data. And think about how many of us have flown American Airlines. You know, oh, yeah. maybe you didn't fly this year, but you're not for, you know, so all that's out there. And then the thing that I really have been advocating for, I write to the federal government about this almost every month. We need to do away with social security numbers because that is a huge vulnerability. You know, mm -hmm. and when somebody asks you for your social security number, you are literally giving them the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. I so, mean, a social security number is more or less like our in real life password that we just have exactly. to give to random, random services. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so that's, that's, as you think about it as a consumer, as a technologist, whatever you are, 
you know, we don't always think about the consequences of free. We don't always apply it, you know. So first I want to go and talk about open source. So open mm-hmm. source for the most part is free if you can decipher what that means in open source. So Kubernetes, mm-hmm. GitHub, you know, all of these things that are out there. I remember, is Apache still free or do they charge for Apache? Uh, Apache is free and Apache also has a foundation where they provide free software. Um you know, those are probably the closest to free that we have now. Uh, like there's the Apache software and the sort of newer one is the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, which is very yeah. similar. Uh, and they really focus on providing uh, like actual capital free software, which is probably the closest that we're going to have nowadays. So Drew, what does open source mean? Can you tell us what that means in the plainest way that we can understand it? Mm-hmm. So when... You build an application, whether it is Microsoft Outlook, uh, Firefox, uh, Windows, anything like that, you have a recipe of text that creates this executable program that you can run. And many open source stuff means, hey, we're going to give you that recipe for no cost. So for example, It's a good open source tool like uh, Kubernetes, right? Uh, Kubernetes, you can download a Kubernetes binary and run it, just meaning like download the program and run it. But Mm -hmm. if you wanted to, you could also download the recipe that makes Kubernetes happen. So it's a bunch of text files. You can look at all the text files. You can change the text files. You can do whatever you want and then rebuild the program with no financial or legal penalty uh, to yourself. And there's a lot of different like layers to that. Like uh, a lot, there's lots of different kinds of open source. So like some projects may say, you can do whatever you want with this software, just don't sue us if it breaks. Others may say, hey, you can do whatever you want to the software, but once you make changes, you have to send those changes back to us. Otherwise you're in violation. Uh, and there's like pretty much everything in between. So it's always uh, what I've started doing now is a lot of software is host. A lot of open source software is hosted on GitHub, which is a website where you can browse source code to many of these popular items. And they have a really nice feature around the licensing where if you click on the license in a GitHub project, it will tell you in plain English what you're allowed to do with it. So it will say like, hey, you know, if you if you ever look at like a, a license file, it's pretty much a giant legal document that is very hard to read. <laughs> dense, very dense. Yes, yes, that's a good way to put it. Uh, so having the little like summaries of what a license actually means up at the top, I think is uh, very important. Yeah. Okay, so we've got open source. And so I want to talk about one, other, one little small part of open source. So mm-hmm. a lot of people, describe open source as an entry point for people who are interested in coming into technology careers, right? Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, the barrier to entry is high if you don't have a good understanding of these things, you know? So if someone said, hey, go out there and build a, a, a Kubernetes folder or a Kubernetes container, whatever the correct word is, you mm-hmm. know, someone who has no concept of IT or technology, that's a, a tall 
order. And I don't know if you remember this back in the day when we had GUIs, graphical user interfaces, where remember hello was the first word you learned to type when you were developing a program. And if you get the hello to respond back to you, so you put the code out there and then it would return back her mm -hmm. hello, you know, you've done a good job. But can you talk a little bit about younger people and, you know, getting their foot in the door through open source? And if you have any recommendations, where yes. would you recommend that they go? Yes, Not absolutely. But, 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 you know, what, what, what tools? And that's, a, that's like a great segue into it because like uh, the internet, as we know it, like all the cloud providers, all the software that runs, like all of that is built on top of open source. Like Amazon is built on open source, Google, uh, Microsoft, even Microsoft, like even though they have non-open source pieces, most of their cloud pieces are built on top of open Apple source. Too. Apple was mm -hmm. on Ubuntu. Yeah. Yep, Ubuntu. Yeah. Yep. They're built on open source. Like it's sort of like the foundation blocks for the modern internet uh, at this point, and probably for like the last 20 or 30 years, even. Um, like you mentioned, though, it is sort of hard to get started with because it, when a company makes a when a company charges for a product, they usually add some sort of shine to it to make it easy, user-friendly, they have support, somebody you can call. Whereas open source stuff, they do have support and they do have like, you know, ways to contact the developers. But because you're not paying them, you know, you're also sort of on your own if something doesn't work. Like if you can't get something to compile and nobody, none of the authors will respond to you, then, you know, you're sort of out of luck. You, you're just gonna have to move on from that, which is not the case with commercial products. Um, Getting started with open source can be hard. Uh, a lot of it takes a lot of reading, uh, just reading through code and sort of seeing how things work. And that's, you can do that on GitHub. And that's something that I will do a lot is just sort of browse GitHub projects and see how they're doing things. Uh, for me personally, getting involved in a project was really the easiest way to learn. So like, if you find a project that you really like, or that you're using as a customer and you find like shortcomings of that product, uh, diving into the code and fixing those shortcomings can be a real great way to get involved uh, both in the open source community and help out you know, a product that you're actively using. GitHub also has, they have started doing a, uh, it is called Good First Issue. So what people have started doing at GitHub is everybody wants to encourage people to help them with their pro project, right? So like if I, as Drew, make this tool that uh, looks at uh, movie ratings, right? I can build it for myself. It's great. It's going to do exactly what I want, but it may not be great for other people because I'm the one that's, I've been the only user of it. Whereas if you, Rochelle, say like, oh, well, Drew, like, I really like your rating app that you put on GitHub, but I would love for it to also include, instead of just movies, I'd like for it to include TV shows as well. Yeah. And then I can think like, oh, you know, I don't really watch many TV shows, but that would be a great feature. And then we can collaborate on it uh, together. One problem with that is like you, Rochelle, may not be super uh, versed in how my program is written. So one thing people have started doing, which I think is very uh, good, especially for like inclusivity, is they've started, they'll find something that their program needs that may be a simple thing. And instead of doing it themselves, 
they will tag it with this tag inside of GitHub that's called good first issue. So it's like a beginner, it's something that they can have a beginner do to get uh, more acquainted with open source. That's not gonna be like a complete rewrite of the program. It's just gonna be something that the author could probably do, but the author wants to let other people participate in it. And that's like a good starting point. So I've seen lots of folks like just search out these good first issues and start uh, hacking on code that way. And that's what I would recommend to any of our users that were interested in it as well. Like uh, search GitHub for good first issue and just start looking through and see if there's any projects in there that you're interested in. And you can sort it by language. Uh, so if you don't want to do, you know, C programming, you only want to do Python, or if you only want to do Go, you can filter it like that and, uh, and get involved that way. So, so let me ask you this. So, uh, and, and I'm sure this is true on the Android side, but on the Apple side, there are a gazillion apps in the Apple store that are somewhat questionable at best. Mm -hmm. you know, some people rate them, uh, some people don't. But but it, like, so I, when, uh, my former self, when I was younger, I used to love to play bingo. Mm -hmm. And so there are probably 25 bingo apps on the Apple store. Only one of them resembles what bingo looks like. You know, the rest of them look this so over the top, right? So if you pick a number and if you get three numbers right, it starts bouncing around the screen and putting up pop-ups and you know, like, oh my God. But my question about that is, so for a while there, Apple was offering classes to people to create apps, you mm -hmm. know, so that you could go in. It was proprietary software, if I remember, I can't remember what it was, but it was proprietary software that they were using. So you could mm -hmm. write your code. And my, my question about all these, whether it's proprietary or, open source is like when you like let's just say you develop a game to you know check the ratings of every movie that comes out from customer reviews to you know industry insiders and you got all this stuff and you collected all the data and let's just say i came along you know and i'm like okay i don't like that column of data there i want to reorganize it shows it shows up over here now is that code the modified code and the original code still kept, or do you overwrite what the original person did without being without ensuring that it's going to do what the original person designed it to do, and to add your changes? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a great question, Rochelle. And what we end up doing with that, and this this comes through a technology called Git, which is the back end of what GitHub is. So Git is an open source technology that does version tracking primarily. Uh, version tracking means like uh, if you create a file, you edit a file, and then you make more, say I make some changes to my own file. They were bad changes. I want to roll it back. Git is the thing that lets me roll my code back from today's changes to a week ago's changes. One other really nice part of Git, and this integrates with GitHub as well, which is sort of the public free hosting for Git, is that Say I've got this, uh, I've got my little movie app. You, Rochelle, want to make your edits. So in general, what the process would be, would be you would fork my code, which is just a button inside of GitHub that copies all of the code that I wrote into a repository that you, Rochelle, have complete control over. You can go in, make whatever changes you want. You can break it. You can add stuff, anything. But because it's not in my central repository, like I'm not going to care about it too much until 
you think that your change is good to go. And when that happens, you create what GitHub calls a pull request. You say, hey, Drew, I made all these changes to your code. I think you should consider adding them in to your actual code so that other people can take advantage of it. And then inside of GitHub, in the nice like little web GUI, I can go in and say, hey, okay, Rochelle changed these things. Uh, she added TV, she removed some uh, columns from my data. And maybe I say, you know what? I love that Rochelle added the uh, TV functionality, but I really like those columns. I don't want her to, I, I wanna keep those columns. Then I can go back to you, Rochelle, all within this GitHub URI and say, I like it, but I wanna keep those original columns. So can you please put them back? And once they're back, I will approve it and move it in. So when you do that, uh, if you decided to do that, which is again, like all your choice, you don't have to do it, but you can do it if you want to. But if we come to an agreement that that's what it should look like, I will then click the button that says approved and all of your changes as Rochelle will come into my repository. And another once nice- I, Once mm -hmm. I move those columns, right? Or once I left mm -hmm. those columns as is. So you would not approve it if I changed, I removed the columns and added the TV rating. You would just say, and, but what if I'm unresponsive or what if I'm not a nice person or what if I like what I've done better and I don't mm -hmm. want to? That means my changes don't get to move forward, but your changes are still out there. Is that correct? Or is In it- In a way. So what usually happens there is if I say like, no, I really want those columns in there. And I don't think that like I, I'm adamant about having the columns and you're adamant about removing the columns. If my license uh, has a stipulation for this, which most of them do, and most of them say it's fine, you could take my code and say, all right, well, I'm not going to integrate with your code anymore. I'm just going to package all this up on my own and I'm going to distribute it. And if the community agrees that like, hey, those changes that Rochelle made are much more valuable than all this junk that, or than the stuff that Drew didn't want removed, they can start using yours and that's totally fine. And it's totally within the licensing realm. So in general, what I tend to see is like, say the community did like your changes and just for some reason I'm hung up on them. If other people are chiming in that like, yeah, we don't need these columns anymore. I would probably just say, all right, like, I just don't get it, but other people out there really seem to like this feature. So let's just go forward with it. And that's sort of the nice thing about GitHub as well is the conversation doesn't just have to be, be between the two of us. Uh, anybody else using the software can jump in, comment. Uh, if they wanted to, they could make changes to the code as well. Like if we were all in agreement that that was okay. Uh, and it really becomes like a communal thing. Like, do we think that this is worth it? And me as the owner, I could still put my foot down and say like, absolutely not. But that's not, you know, that's sort of, that's not a great way to own a project. You want to, you want to do what your customers want to do or what your customers think is valuable. Um, so the community of open source is a lot about agreement, right? Getting people mm -hmm. to agree about things. So the original version is still there. The original owner has to approve any changes made to it the community could come in and approve or say, or there could be a new version, version one, Drew, version two, Rochelle, and version such and such and such. So that's the kind of structure or pace of this going. So mm -hmm. let's turn a little bit away from um, open source a little bit and go back to other free things. And, and as we said, many of the applications we use today are built on open source code. But, but let's talk a little bit about free. 
So mm-hmm. my favorite is Gmail when it first came out. It's 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 become better. But if you type the word spam, in other words, did you get a spam email? They would put up an ad for spam, whatever it is. I don't know what it is, sausage, meat, something other. So they you could tell how closely they were monitoring your stuff. What they do now, for those of you who don't have a Gmail, I I don't know how the like Yahoo and AOL, I don't know how they work, but what happens in Gmail, you start so I start typing in email and I almost always send a gratuity. I hope all is well with you and your family, or how are you doing, or something like that. Google will finish my sentence for me once I start typing. Mm-hmm. So when you think about free as a consumer, or and, and in this case, I'm a consumer as a consumer of this service. I have lost all sense of my privacy. They're thinking for me. They're helping me think how to be grammatic, gr- grammatically correct. They're suggesting edits for me to do. They auto-correct my spelling, misspellings. And then the end result is when you get ready to reply, it starts feeding you information about how to reply to it. So that version of three free sitting on the outside looking in is amazing. You know, I don't have to know how to spell. I don't know how to use grammatic, like, I can say, how you doing? You know, I don't have to know how to be grammatically correct, but it forces me to. And so on that side, it's a great tool, right? So I don't have to think, almost like navigation, just put it in and go, wherever they tell you to go, go, right? So that's great. But the downside of that is how do they know what it is that I'm thinking, where I'm trying to go? And so you can guess that there are algorithms that are running in the background, some kind of automation also running in the background. So if you type in a word that, doesn't seem right. The algorithm says, okay, the word should be this. So Autumn, for example. And I know a lot of people name Autumn. So it might be, I'm talking about a person, but it interprets me to talk about the season. So on that side of it, what's the risk to me when they know so much about how I'm thinking and what I'm trying to get across? Yeah. So all of that is, so what, what Gmail specifically wants to do and why they have uh, such good free email is first off, they want you using their email and that's why they're making all of these like tweaks. And the bet that Gmail is making is that they can make more money off of advertising to you than they can charging a monthly fee. <laughs> so and wait till them streaming services figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they may, I think they're starting to do that already. Lots of these streaming places are like adding commercials, which seems like but they're all commercials. Stuff. They're not adding traditional commercials like so if you are watching something on hulu you get a bunch of hulu commercials about hulu live packaged in with espn3 all this you get that kind of stuff same with netflix i was watching something on disney yesterday and i swear to god i must have got a dozen disney commercials about new movies that are coming out i got another thing of the black Panther trailer i'm like good lord these people are now having commercials they're almost so when the first time they have a political ad on it i'm gonna stop using this streaming service so i just want y'all to know if y'all listen out there if you put a political ad on a streaming service, count Rochelle out. I just can't do that. So yes. tell me, Drew, so go, go for it finish your thoughts. So as you're thinking about free, and I mean, I don't know, do you use free mail or any free services or are you mm-hmm. only strict? Okay. So I do a combination. So I'd still use Gmail with the knowledge of, yes, Gmail is reading. Uh, so with Gmail, <laughs> like your email is not private. They may have uh, a privacy policy that says they're only going to use your email for certain things. And it's probably not like just some person reading your email for the most part, Uh, but they are running the text of your email through like uh, data collection things. So they want to see what you're talking about in your email that they can then like advertise you. So like if I send my wife uh, email saying like, you know what? 
ah, my shoe, like I was running today and, uh, you know, my, the sole of my shoe fell off. Well, Gmail is going to see that. And I'm going to soon be getting advertisements on where to buy new shoes. Right. right. Uh, and a lot of it can be a lot more subtle than that. Like it may not even be that I say, Hey, you know what? Uh, the sole of my shoe fell off. I may say, Hey, uh, heads up. I'm going to go jogging this afternoon. Well, now Google knows that I go jogging in the afternoons and that I probably have some sort of running shoe and that at some point I'm going to be in the market to buy new running shoes. So they're going to add that to the little queue of like things that I'm going to get advertisements for. And their hope is, is that I click one of those advertisements and buy a shoe and then they get money from that sale because they referred me over there, which is totally fine. It, it feels very sketchy, but I mean, that's sort of the way that stuff works now. There's a product called Proton Mail, which is free. It is not quite, it is, it's not as, as full featured as Gmail, but it's very privacy centric. And I do use that, uh, I don't want to say like when I'm sending a secret email, but I've been trying to switch to that for things that like, I know I don't want advertising on, right? that I don't want people uh, collecting information. So I may like sign up for a website and then use my Proton mail address versus my Gmail address because I don't want the advertising associated with it to come through uh, Gmail. The problem with Proton mail is because they are not monetizing you as a user based on your email content, uh, the free features are very limited and they really want you to like sign up for a full uh, monthly contract. And I think it's, I would, I would say even the, uh, like iTunes or I, what are the Apple email addresses? Apple connect that. Uh, I can't even remember I, what. So they got the iCloud email, okay. you know, they have a new feature called hide my email. So, you know, if you don't want, so I, I advertise for an editor on Craigslist mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't use, I just told, uh, iCloud, I wanted to use send that email. And so the bit, the plus of it, is that people don't know your email address. You don't want nice. to know your email don't know anything. But the other side of that is that when you reply to someone, it does not recognize that it's that hide my email address that they were responding to. So it comes in uh, like almost like, I think it's 96, char 96 characters of letters and alphabets and, and symbols and things like that at iCloud.com. Yeah. Or there's a, uh, what is it? Uh, the connect uh, thing that Apple has been developing and trying now to get that new little email that they've got going, you know, and, and remarkably, I have about four or five iCloud emails, not without with all those characters, but just my mm -hmm. regular name. But, you know, again, thinking about free, you know, for me, protecting our consumers from the great things that technology is. I, I mean, I couldn't imagine my life without technology. I don't even think I could go anywhere now without my navigation system, everything, oh, yeah. my car, my phone, everything's got na navigation. And if you start your car's navigation and your phone's navigation, of course your phone is more updated than your car. So there's a road that's not there. So free technology has really been a wonderful thing. The, the problem with all of these things is that what you said earlier, you are literally giving away your life every time you interact with these things. And so I don't mean you're putting your life at risk, although I will say some people have died, you know, using these services like that, you know, they, they're dating or oh, bullying yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but in reality, you know, the information they're collecting from you, your data. And I was reading something, I think it was AT&T of Verizon One that produced an article that said each of us developed between 500 to a million pieces of data a day. 
So if you say, I am going to the mall, that's four words. I am going to the mall. That's five. I'm sorry, going to the mall. Hey, you know, they're collecting that, right? So there's there's a risk with everything. And I think what Drew said when we started this, true free is hard to find in technology. It's almost always a trade-off. Now, you know, it sounds like what you described about GitHub might be a little bit better in that space. Maybe Proton Mail may be a little bit better. Well, but- GitHub is owned by Microsoft, so they probably exactly. are pulling. Like right. they, and in fact, they they are definitely monetizing your uh, your work on there. <laughs> right, right. And then you know to think about that from the perspective of you know do I pay or do I not pay? I I know there are some paid emails out there, but they are so far behind the free ones, right? So mm-hmm. you know most people go for the Gmail, the Yahoo, Hotmail. I thought Hotmail had gone away, but I find people still use Hotmail. <laughs> what I know, but you know at the end of the day, you know the free is means something and and i i remember back early in the day i should tell people all the time anything you put on the internet believe me it's not gone even if you delete it you know you go to facebook and delete your you know delete please you what you've just done is tell facebook not to put anything out there to the forward facing piece but all that stuff in the back is still there because if you want to believe if you believe me or not so i don't use facebook um i had not logged into facebook probably since 2015 2014 i went back to reclaim and almost everything came right back. Like, oh, yeah. what? What? But I just deleted my entire profile. I should be starting from ground zero, but that's not how it works. So as a consumer, what's your advice about free things and how do we manage this so that we are safe traveling down the highway of that is called the internet? Yeah. So I think it all comes down to like, how much money do you want to pay? And if you're not going to be paying that money, how much of your of how much of your privacy are you okay giving away? So, like when we think about the Apple Mail, Apple is very privacy conscious, and if you're a very private privacy conscious person, uh, the Apple Mail is probably going to be your best bet. And while it may look like Apple Mail is free, what they're actually making their money on is the Apple hardware, right? So, if you're a part of the Apple ecosystem, you're going to want to buy a new Apple laptop every couple of years. You're probably going to have buy an iPhone. You're probably going to have an iPad, and that's where Apple is making their money. Which is, I mean, that's sort of like a traditional business, right? Like you sell someone this physical thing, and they pay you money for it. And in Apple's case, like there's going to be a premium on top of any Apple product because they're going to charge you more money up front, but then you're going to get these more privacy-centric features down the road, which I think is a is a fine trade-off. But if you don't want to do that, or, and this comes into like uh, a, a bit more about like diversity and uh, people not having as much money, if you're a poor person, I guess it's, it's not really a diversity thing. I shouldn't say that. But if you're if you're someone with less money, Marginalized. Marginalized. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Rochelle. <laughs> if you're a marginalized person that may not be able to spend two or three thousand dollars up front for a laptop, uh, you know, you're gonna have to uh like you just can't do it, right? You can't just make money come out of uh the ether. Uh so you're gonna have to buy a cheaper laptop and get uh quote unquote free email service that is going to prey on your privacy. And that sort of sucks, you know, like that's, that's, that's not, that's not a great way for the world to be saying like, we're going (laughs) to, you have to give us some money up front for us, for you to be able to live a private life. Like that's just, it it feels bad. In the game of things, that's really the hardcore nature of our, our society. I'm reading a book 
Um, I'll show it to you. I'm reading, it's mm -hmm. a fascinating book. It's called A Lie Too Big to Fail. And it's the story of John F. Kennedy's assassination. This is like 600 some pages. I will tell you what's really phenomenal about this is to understand how our society works. And many of us think we know. So, you know, the federal government, you pay them all your money. They give you a little bit of it back when you retire, you go to your job and da, 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 da. But in reality, so much of your life, you don't even know what's happening to you. So like the stuff that's going on in Russia and you only see what's forward facing. What's going on in the background? You know, like, are we going to bring Britain ground a home? You know, are we going to, you know, go into a nuclear war with Russia? We don't know that. And we don't know the politics behind that. But, but what this book suggests is that our government, besides killing Osama bin Laden and whatever that co-main person name, all that place, we kill a lot of people. And we kill a lot of people discreetly. You know, we assassinate, we kidnap, whatever, we torture, whatever. People don't pull the covers back far enough to see that. They don't pull the covers back to know how our government and how our states and cities are run and what they mean to us. You know, and again, going back to the Social Security thing, and I know we need to wrap up, but going back to the Social Security thing, you know, even that means that you are putting yourself in harm's way. And you have to wonder why people want to collect this information about you. So, you know, like if you take an application like Firefox, we don't collect information about Firefox. We just use it. And, you know, there's an expectation from us that we update their software periodically. You know, so it's a kind of, you know, silent exchange that happens in all aspects of life. You know, there's these silent exchange that you don't always pay close attention to that will have some negative outcome to you. And so I would just say in, 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 in closing, free is not free unless you understand what free means. Now, Drew, how do you, how do you end that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I would just add one more thing that like, and this is one of the things I had on the list to talk about today is when we talk about Firefox, like Firefox is an open source project. They're a, uh, an organization that is like very open source friendly, but they have to, they have employees that they have to pay and to pay those employees. Uh, I'm curious, Rochelle, do you know how uh, Firefox makes money? I do the same way that all the other companies make money. So if you're on Firefox, you know, so typically every 10 or so days, Firefox produces a new update. And I remember, you know, in a large organization, there is ESR. Is that what it's called? E that ESR uh, yeah. component. I forgot yeah. what it is, but there's it's some like enterprise. enterprise. Yeah, some enterprise version of it that that they have out there. So, you know, there's a relationship with them and the organization, you know, so I, Dan Cantrell uh, managed our Firefox ESR, ER, whatever it was called, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, I was constantly interested as to how often he was trying to negotiate, you know, this contract with them and about resources. And then, you know, they incorporated into the body of, of the operating system, you push out the computers and we'll talk about this at a later time. And for, as a consumer, you don't care about this, but typically organizations build a body of software which includes the operating system, applications they agree for you to use all that you know tie tie in and mm -hmm. so firefox er esr and i'm sorry i'm messing that up is in that body of software that's pushed and then the updates don't go to the to the user they go to the people who manage so all that's how they make money i'm sorry too yeah, long no no that that's that's exactly right and then they they also have an income stream from uh advertising when you search something right. so like one of the big deals with firefox is their default search engine so they have like if you do a web search without going to Google or Bing or whatever, like the specific website is, like if you just put the search in the URL bar, uh, Firefox then sends you to the final search place. And if you buy something, 
after searching for it, Firefox gets a kickback of that money, <laughs> which sort of puts it in the Google camp. So it's like, like you said, like nothing's, nothing's really free. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap thank up. You so much, Drew. No, no. Thank you, Rochelle. I think this was a good one. And uh, we'll thank all of our users, uh, or users, listeners, customers. <laughs> He's just a techie. Everybody's a user. Always. That's a <laughs> yes. techie term, user. Yes. All of our listening users. Uh, <laughs> feel free to shoot us an email out there, imminentteachnology uh, at gmail.com. And we hope to hear from you soon. Excellent. Thank you for listening to Eminent Teachnology. If you like the show, please review, subscribe, and recommend us to your friends and family. We'd love to hear feedback from you as well. You can email us at eminentteachnology at gmail.com. See y'all soon.